All right, so you got all your notes from last night? Oh yeah, I'm ready to go. Dave's just in the bathroom, so. Dave, the ultimate fan, here with us as we do every week. Our producer Joe Mate likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter, that's at Fans Working, Facebook, Working Fans Pod. We've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast and for any ideas that you might have. That's Working Fans Wrestling Pod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram where you can keep up with us at WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms including Anchor.fm. We're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts. And you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out. And we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Working Fans Podcast. I'm the lifelong fan, Dave. We got AJ calling in on us this week to talk about the stuff from this weekend. And as always, producer Joe is here. So we're talking it all. We're talking AEW. We're talking MLW and StarCast. AJ, hit us off since you're calling in, man. What do you think about last night's big Full Gear show? Well, we had a huge weekend in wrestling, especially starting with Full Gear. Between MLW, AEW, Impact, everybody was loaded and ready to go this weekend. I think last night was hot. I think it was a great card. And they did a great job of keeping the tempo all the way through the show. If I was bothered by anything, Mm. it was probably just the pre-show, and that's it. What bothered you about the pre-show? I felt that that was a match that could have actually been on the regular show. You have two women that are actually tremendous wrestlers. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I'm not a huge Britt Baker fan. I'm actually much more of a B. Priestley um, fan. And then they even did the angle with Brandy Rhodes and with Awesome Kong coming out and actually cutting Bea Priestley's hair. So you have a big angle being done on the pre-show that, uh, to me, is something that should have been on the show. That's true. We debated that last night. I thought the videos that they put together really had that pre-show, you got to get the pay-per-view feel to it. Uh, I'll tell you this, though. Uh, There was a scrum after the event last night. I don't know if you guys saw it with Tony Khan. And uh, he actually said, to AJ's point, it didn't work out the way he wanted to, but he actually wanted Pre-Sweet and Britt Baker on the main show. That he actually felt there was enough steam and this was going to be one of their bigger matches. So to that point, the owner of the company agrees with you. I don't know what the reason was why I didn't end up making it, but that is what happened. So I, I didn't see that scrum, but I got to believe that that guy's a genius. Now, we had Taz, Golden Boy, and Excalibur on that match on commentary. What did you think of that team? I actually thought that they did a better job, to be honest with you, than JR and Excalibur did. I thought JR, and I love JR, you know, I think he's the greatest announcer of all time. He's right up there, obviously, with Gordon Soley and all the great announcers. But I thought last night he was a little off his game. Whereas I thought the combination of Taz, who has legitimacy to it, Golden Boy, who 
is underrated in my opinion. Uh, I think that they just do a great job as a team. All right, I want to talk about that for a second with the commentary because I'm somewhat of a JR apologist all the time. <laughs> But uh, I do want to talk about that because I actually uh, somewhat agree with what you're saying. I was listening to the Post podcast, and I thought they hit it kind of on the head today. A lot of criticism comes to three-man booth lately in the business over the last several years, and I think that's the WWE three-man booth. But in AEW, I think the three-man booth has been good. Like, I think when Tony's with Excalibur and Jim, it's good. When Golden Boy's with Excalibur and Jim, it's good. I'm not saying I agree last night was bad. I think JR got tongue-tied once or twice. But for the most part, I think they're actually better with a three-man team in AEW. Oh, I agree with you. I think that if you had Tony there last night, it takes more off of JR's plate. I think he's just gotten to a point where, and I hate to say at his age, but I think he's just gotten to a point where you're putting too much on him in a two-man booth, especially with some of the product not being stuff that is right down his alley. All right, I want to just say this to her because this was another point I heard, and I think you would agree with this. Now, we all watched this last night together, so we might have missed this, and I know Joe missed the main event. Not the main, not the world title, but the Lights Out match with Omega and Matsui. I didn't pick up on this. You might not have heard this, but there was some criticism actually towards Excalibur for this. He actually said, I cannot wait for the beautiful violence for which we're about to see. And the criticism was, but at least in JR's situation, he was reacting like, holy shit, I can't believe what I'm seeing. So in some situations, yeah, I do feel like he's outdated, but in other situations, I feel like maybe that's the reaction you want in certain things. See, I think he does a better job, in my opinion, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about announcers, but I right. think he does a better job in main event situations that's than fair. he does in the mid-card. Because I think the mid-card is more of the stuff that he's not used to. Right. Whereas the main event is what he's used to calling at this point. So I think he's, I think having Shivani there as a third person takes some of that pressure off of him in the middle of the card and keeps him ready for those main events. I'm a big Jim Ross fan. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be one of these guys, as he says, with their nuts in a thimble who's just trying to criticize them. I actually think JR overall does a great job. Now, Tony wasn't at the show because of football commitment. So when the main show kicked off, it was Excalibur and JR. Now, let's kind of go match by match and just give our initial... Because we last night wrote down our initial thoughts about the match. Now, it kicked off with the Bucks versus Santana and Ortiz. What did you guys think of the match starting off? Go ahead, Adrian. Oh, I think it was the best way they've let off the pay-per-view so far. I, I think that they got the crowd into it. They fired the crowd up. The match was outstanding. I would have liked to have seen LAX maybe not struggle quite so much with their ring gear, trying to keep it up um, as they're trying to wrestle. But other than that, I thought the match was absolutely fantastic. Had a great flow to it. And it got the crowd fired up right from the beginning. I really enjoyed the selling of uh, Nick with his knee. I thought Nick really stepped up his game for this match. He sold it all the way, not only through the match, but all the way through to the end of the show. He came out later in the show, as you know, for the main event, uh, or for the uncensored match, and he was still selling his knee. So I think he did an awesome job of selling it. And before we get off this, let's talk about the Rock and Roll Express coming out in the end. How about Ricky Morton with a little bit of a help for hitting that Canadian Destroyer and the tope? I, I appreciate what they're trying to do, and you know, going back, I'm a huge rock and roll fan, mm. love the rock and roll in the Midnight Express, love the rock and roll versus the Russians, great matches through time, even their matches with the Heavenly Bodies in the 90s for Smoky Mountain 
are underrated matches or against the gangsters. They actually had great matches with them. But they're getting to a point now where time has passed them by. And to see him going for some of these moves is just incredibly uncomfortable. Whether it's having to hold the ropes open for him so that they can do a, uh, have a 63-year-old man do a tope, or it's just terrifying. Now, what, this, real quick, though, will you be a little better with this if the Rock and Roll Express end up being on Dynamite and doing the job to uh, Ortiz and Santana? Even that I'm going to be uncomfortable with because they, they just aren't keeping up. Okay. It's not the level they're at anymore. They don't belong there anymore. And I don't mean to knock them. They're a great... What they did coming out and taking the bump on the stage and stuff like that, that they can do. But I just don't feel comfortable trying to sell that they belong in there with top-tier talent anymore. It's just not right. Now, this match was a nice little long match to start. Santana and Ortiz definitely seem over. And it was a good start. Hangman Page and Pac was the next match. This was hard-hitting, back and forth. What did you guys think of it? I'll tell you what I thought. These guys, and I'll let you get in, AJ, here, but I thought these guys just beat the shit out of each other. I thought everything they hit was hard-hitting, whether it was an aerial move, whether it was a simple Irish rip. These guys just beat the crap out of each other. And uh, that's what I'm getting for almost every Pac match. I'm glad Hangman went over. It makes an interesting thing now because they're tied at one apiece. But at the same time, like, Pac is just bringing it in his matches, as far as I'm concerned. This was my favorite match of the night. I thought the two of them brought it. I thought that it was incredible. I'm not sure about placement being second match on the card, to be honest with you. To me, it should have been a little later on the card. But to me, it was the best match of the night. I'm a little concerned about a hangman because there's reports coming out, and one of them was from Mike Johnson on PW Insider that he actually received a stinger during the match and was having numbness in his right arm. So I'm hoping that he's okay. He does feel like he's going to be able to compete for Dynamite on Wednesday, but it's a little scary to see a young talent like that face a stinger. Wow, I hadn't heard that. That's a little concerning. We definitely hope he bounces back. Now, Sean Spears versus Joey Janela was the next matchup. And this thing started off hard-hitting. Janela really took a beating. We even saw Telly Blanchard get involved. AJ, I know you're a big Crockett fan and a Horseman fan. What did you think of Telly getting involved in the match in general? I like Telly Blanchard as a manager. I'm not overly impressed yet with his chemistry with Sean Spears. I think that there's, there just doesn't seem to be that sharp connection. Some of the vignettes that they did early on I think were very good. But since then, they don't really come out together. There's no... I'm just not seeing the bond there that you typically see. Like Tully, for instance, with J.J. Dillon in the 1980s. There was that connection there. You felt that J.J. always had Tully's best interest. He was going to do whatever it took to help Tully. I'm just not getting that feel between the two of them. And the match on a whole, to be honest with you, it's not going to make me popular with some of the fans out there. I thought the match was sloppy. Uh, And I know it's easy to put it on Joey Janela because of his style that he's used to. But to me, Sean Spears just isn't actually bringing what we expect from him yet. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that, actually. I'm not saying it's necessarily Spears. I thought Spears looked fine. But this match didn't do anything for me until the very end when Tully hit the the stuffed pile driver, and that was some nostalgia for me. Other than that, this match wasn't drawing me in. Yeah, and other than that spike pile driver, to be honest with you, this was probably my least favorite match in the card. Now, following this match was that triple threat tag match with Private Party, the Lucha Brothers, SCU. 
Private Party once again showing out. They're getting a real good show of what they can do. Phoenix, as always, wild with walking on the ropes. What did you guys think of this match? I was a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of the tag division, though. Actually, I'm going to say, I'm going to take the opposite end on this one a little bit, too. This match didn't draw me in that much. There's great athleticism. They beat each other up at times. But I just, I guess I felt like the outcome was kind of predictable. I knew SCU wasn't going to drop the belts. And I don't, maybe it would have been better off if it was just the two teams in there. But to me, it seemed a little crowded at times. And uh, I don't know, it just didn't quite click all the way for me for like a great match. It was okay, it was solid, but it wasn't anything that I'm going to like remember. Yeah, well, we talked about this yesterday. Uh, you're talking about six of the best athletes they have in AEW, and obviously we're always impressed with their athleticism, but like we talked about the Bucks and LAX earlier, we talked about the storyline and the selling and how they drew you in. This is the opposite for me. I wasn't bought into this at all. I knew what was going to happen from the beginning. I know we're going to see great high spots from Phoenix. I know we're going to see relatively sloppy high spots from a very young but talented team in general with private party. And I knew at the end SCU was walking out. So this is my second least favorite match on the card just for those reasons. What did you think about the lights off, lights on return of Christopher Daniels? That I loved. That was my highlight of the... Now, we got to be fair and tell everybody, I'm a huge, pretty much a mark when it comes to Christopher Daniels. Um, I've been a fan of him for 20 years, for Christ's sake, and I think that he, he hasn't been used enough. I can't even tell you how much I popped when I found out that he had won the uh, Ring of Honor Heavyweight Championship a few years ago. For him to come out as the uh, Pentagon Trace was absolutely incredible. And as usual, he did a great job of selling it right down to doing the makeup around his facial area with the mask. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, it was good. Now, the follow-up to that match was Riho versus Emi Sakura. Student versus teacher dynamic. I've heard it criticized that they didn't really take enough time to build up the story. I thought it was a good match. I was a little unclear why Emi Sakura was ranked so high, when to me it seemed like Britt Baker had a more full record. What did you think of this? I have a problem with the records. Our belief when we started watching AEW is that the records were going to mean something. And now all of a sudden we're putting a storyline of this is the um, teacher and student over the fact that there's much more, there's a lot more women that are ranked higher than her right now. Not only that, but you have a champion who hasn't been on TV that much all of a sudden just going to battle with her teacher instead of facing any one of the women that have been there every week. So I have a problem with the match. However, the match itself was a great story, was put together well. People love Riho. People were vested into the match. Freddie Mercury stuff is as stupid as I've ever seen. But other than that, it, it, it was really good. I'm going to say I agree with some of that. I feel like Rio's been on TV enough a little bit, but I also feel like this is just one area where we're trying to get a bunch of people over that not everybody's familiar with yet. And they didn't really do such a great job of building this story where people are like, okay, we need to see this. At the same time, I will agree with you. I think they kind of won us over as the match went on. I think a lot of that is Wheo just getting beat down and coming back. And uh, I think she does a good job with her comebacks and uh, getting people in her matches. Am I the only one who's concerned that at some point Brandy Rose is bringing Kong for Rio? Uh, I'm sure that's something that's some storyline at some point. I'd be interested to see how that goes. Go ahead, Joe. I wouldn't be surprised about that. You guys can attest, I was pretty fucking tired during this thing last night. 
But this match woke me up from Riho's wild stomp spot to just the fact that I thought she really battled it out. And it really kind of woke me up for a little bit. It woke you up because you saw a really cute little Japanese girl in little tights. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cody and Jericho followed this. And I don't know if we can say enough about this match. Cody did that dive where he landed on his face on mm. the ramp. And at first, it was so perfectly blocked by the person in the way, you couldn't tell what happened. And then they showed the second angle. AJ, what'd you think of this dive? They did a great job of, first of all, finding the second angle that quickly. But that dive, if you look at the way his body is at, when you land, your ass should never go past your head. That's just not a good landing. If your ass goes past your head, you built your, you bent your body the wrong way. Not only could he have damaged his face, which he did do, but you're talking about spinal injury, you're talking about tearing cartilage in your ribs. There's so many things that could have gone horribly wrong there. Dislocated shoulder, the fact that he was okay, and great job by the medical staff. I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but the doctor who worked on him last night, Dr. Sampson, is actually the one who saved Jerry Lawler's life when he had the heart attack on SmackDown. Oh, shit. Yeah, that's actually the doctor who brought Jerry back to life and worked on him and got him to the hospital and saved his life. So there's a little inside information for you. He did a tremendous job of getting that cut cleared up and actually getting enough salve on it where Cody, quite frankly, was able to continue the match and be able to see. Now, I have to say, I thought the blood, just like the match with Dustin Rhodes a few months ago, really added a lot to this match. Whether it was dangerous, whether it was intentional, at the end of the day, that blood drew us in. That, and I thought, honestly, Cody's mom being out there and everything really drew me in. And it's kind of funny because later at the end of this match, we're going to see MJF throw in the towel. Cody's mom, I was thinking about afterwards being out there, kind of reminded me of Helen Hart from years and years ago being out there throwing the towel during the Brett Backlund match. Cody's mom did a great job being out there indefinitely. I love the way Jericho played off of his mom, off of his mom also. The only thing I don't like about it was having the other guy there and making all of us question, wait a minute, is that Cody's new stepfather? You know, it's funny, nobody on any podcast I've heard has commented about that guy except for us, though. Hey, bud, leave Steve that's, out of it. We, that's what we do. <laughs> Steve was just trying to have that's a good we, night, and now we're all getting on his ass. That's right. So Yeah, but that's what we do. We bring the stuff that nobody else is willing to bring to the table. <laughs> now, Swagger was booted. MJF throws in the towel. We finally get the turn. Do you guys think the turn was on time, or could they have pulled this story out even longer? They could have held it out longer. I do like the fact that they had him get into it with Swagger before Swagger left. Sorry, with Hagar before he left, and that he actually took a little bit of a beating from Hagar, because it took a little bit of the, okay, well maybe he's not going to turn on him away. So so it did add to the storyline a little bit. It also makes it so that hopefully MJF is not with the inner circle and can be a strong heel on his own because the last thing mjf needs is to be buried into a cast of characters yeah he should be leading his own faction if anything i think i definitely think that they pulled it on time if they had pulled this trigger earlier i don't think it would have built as well and where do you go from here that it's going to be as important when they pull it this is supposed to be his one and only shot at the world title if he doesn't win it so what other match is cody going to have that could possibly mean enough to make this as big Speaking of MJF leading his own faction, as part of MLW, he leads the dynasty. Now, what'd you guys think of MLW Superfight 
from last weekend because I've been on vacation, so we haven't really met up to talk yet. AJ, did you see this? I'm not sure if you did. I did, and to me, the main event was fantastic. To see the uh, referee get fireballed, to see Parks spear freaking Selena Del Renta through a table. I mean, you're talking about a heck of a match and a great ending. That moonsault from Pot 2, also just absolutely incredible. Did you get to see the rest of the show, too, or you just saw the main event? Oh, no, I saw the whole thing. Okay. I was really excited with the uh, Von Erichs in the opener. Finally see them get the gold. Super excited about that. And uh, another match I thought that was really kind of stole the show for me was Thatcher and Tom Lawler. That was a great match. To me, though, I have a different scene, different show stealer. My show stealer of the night is going to be Teddy Hart versus Austin Aries. Austin Aries. Yeah. Yeah. I know that we obviously expect a lot from both of them. Teddy Hart being a tremendous athlete who's had his problems but puts on great matches, and Austin Aries being one of the best indie and probably pure wrestlers of our time period. But I thought just the two of them were absolutely incredible. Yeah. And when Hart hits that Canadian Destroyer for the win, just a great all-around match. I just want to ask you real quick, what do you think about Austin Aries' physique? It seems like he's kind of doesn't have the same physique he had in WWE. The vegan's catching up with him. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's losing muscle tone. He's, he, he's not eating meat. He's been doing the vegan diet now for a long time. He's not going to be able to maintain that physique that he had for years. And between his age and the diet, he's starting to lose the muscle. Now, my match of the night had to be Pillman Jr. versus Low Key. Pillman Jr. coming out in the old Hollywood blonde gear. That was cool. And just a hard-hitting match. Really a chance for him to step up his game and kind of elevate himself in indie wrestling. What do you think of that match? Do you think Hammerstone's underrated? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I know you're talking about low-key. My bad. I went off. I'm going to keep talking a little bit so you can actually take some of this out. <laughs> <laughs> But sorry, I thought Loki was outstanding in the match. I thought Pillman was great. I would have liked to have seen Pillman Jr. go over. Yeah, I agree with that. It would have been interesting. But they didn't pull the heel turn trigger on him, really. But that would have been nice. Maybe a low blow or something. And Cheats to get the win would have been good. Yeah, and it was a hell of a fight. It was two guys that were smash mouth. I just, to me, I was just fired up for that match. thought it was a great match. To your point, I would say Hammerstone definitely has star potential written on him. Yeah, I could see Hammerstone being a player. Yeah, I, and that was one of those things that I really wanted to talk about, and I think that's why I flew off there in a different direction, was to me, Alexander Hammerstone, Hammerstone versus Davy Boy Smith is a great match anyway. You're talking about two big dudes just beating the tar out of each other, and then he wins with a, with a wrestling hold. Yeah, he grabbed the ropes. But he won with a freaking roll-up. Now, we've been big on MLW. I thought it was a very good price point for the pay-per-view. And overall, for their first pay-per-view, it seemed like a success. Agreed. But uh, I thought it was great. Not only that, we talked about all those great matches. We didn't even mention one of our favorite wrestlers on the whole thing. Max Warner defeated Jimmy Havoc and Beastia 666 in a three-way. I mean, you talk about a three-way dance where anything's happening and everything's going on. Uh, Max Warner was incredible in it. And, I mean, boards, chairs, trash cans, palm wire. It was a great precursor, quite frankly, to last night's match with NAW. I want to actually tie this all in. We're talking about MLW. We're talking about Full Gear last night. Yeah, not the only L uh, Jimmy That's what Havoc I was going to say, yeah. Week. Did you hear about uh, that match to Jimmy Havoc with the hat with Excalibur over the weekend, AJ? 
Yeah, that's. Uh, I heard a little bit about it. I'm not sure exactly what happened. From the description I saw, I couldn't tell if it was something that happened on purpose or if it's uh, um, something they got into backstage. The story, no. A little bit more info on that. No, no, no. So what happened was it actually happened at Jimmy's Famous Seafood for Tony Schiavone's birthday. Apparently, Jimmy wow. Havoc was drinking, and him and Excalibur got into it. He took a swipe at Excalibur, who ducked and put him like in a chokehold, I believe. And then it was broken up by Atlas Security. They had Havoc outside. Excalibur had already calmed down, went out to talk to Jimmy. Jimmy threw his phone at him, missed it, broke into a wall. But apparently they're all forgiven. And when Tony Khan was questioned about it at the scrum, he said he's seen worse at the NFL and that last night's pay-per-view, and he would just call it a draw. <laughs> so, so, here's, so here's my thought on this. And that's a great story, by the way. But here's my thought on this. Jimmy Havoc, as great of a wrestler as he is, not exactly a real badass. Mm. And Excalibur's a pretty good-sized dude for being a commentator. <laughs> Now, I know you guys haven't seen much of StarCast from the weekend, so I'm going to go over my general thoughts, and then I want to get your thoughts on StarCast as a whole. But as the series has gone on, there's been less shows, but better quality. After this one, I found that the shows I'm most excited for seem to fall short, and the shows that I wasn't so hyped for really seem to blow me away. In particular, we made the Stars of StarCast panel was amazing. Ron Simmons, the panel was obviously amazing. I've had the biggest problem with that every StarCast you buy, every previous one you get for free. Right. I, got in on the I got in on the ground floor. I paid $100 for StarCast 1, and then I bought every one after. What do we get? Right, right. But um, <laughs> I would still highly recommend it either way. What have been your guys' standout StarCast panels, or what do you think of StarCast as a whole? Uh, for me personally, I actually got to see the one, I want to say it was maybe three or two with Dustin Rhodes. Yep, that Dustin. was a very good one, Inside that, the Rhodes. Yeah, I don't know if you had seen that, AJ, but that was a phenomenal interview. Dustin was very honest, and it was coming the day after his match with Cody. And uh, he's a really passionate guy when it comes to it. And the guy interviewing him for Between the Ropes, Kenny McIntosh, I believe. Kenny McIntosh. Super good, really brings it out, and good chemistry between the two of them. I haven't seen much of this year's one yet. I know we watched a little bit of the one with the Crockett's yesterday. But that, to me, is one of the problems that I'm having so far with StarCast. There always seems to be something a little bit different than what you're expecting. And sometimes you don't end up with the host you're expecting. You know what I mean? Sometimes, like yesterday, I know that Shivani ended up doing the football. But for some reason, and maybe I'm the only one who thought this, I thought that they had broadcasted that Tony Shivani was going to be the one who was interviewing them. He was on the graphics. And that's what I'm saying, which is a totally different dynamic than having... A Having a reporter actually do the interview was completely different. And even though Bruce Mitchell grew up in that area and reported on all of that wrestling, it's just not the same. And it seems like every year they have a couple panels where they switch out whoever's going to be the host. I know we talked about the last time we thought CM Punk was going to be interviewed by Jim Ross. Mike Johnson ended up doing a fine job, but we were looking really forward to Jim Ross interviewing CM Punk. No, and, they, and I swear that they had announced that it was going to be Jim Ross. Yeah, either way, it would have been interesting. I it, it is what it is. I I do say I will say this, the StarCast events as a whole 
even though they're not technically associated, has been really good for AEW. I mean, if you're going in for the weekend to see a big AEW pay-per-view and you get to, like, have this event kind of latched onto it, super cool. Plus the meet and greets that aren't even, like, televised. Right. I'm not going to lie. I can't tell you how jealous I am of the people who got to do the Shockmaster experience. (laughs) Now, we kind of brought up the big events from the weekend, but you had also said last night you had some hot takes on things in the news. What caught your eye that's been in the news lately? Well, you guys know because I've been ranting to you guys. I'm excited about the Tessa Blanchard stuff. Uh, I'm very excited about the fact that down the road, and I don't want to do any spoilers or anything like that, but the fact that coming down the road that there's going to be opportunities for Tessa Blanchard to be going for the Impact Championship, to me, it's the first time women, I know we've seen women go for the Intercontinental title, but this is the first time for a promotion where you're going to see a woman going for the big title. And it might not be as big as AEW or as WWE, but the fact that a company is considering putting their main strap on a woman for the first time, I know we call Becky Lynch the man, but who's the man if you put the main strap on a woman in their organization? All right, I'm going to disagree with some of that because at the end of the day, Becky Lynch headlined WrestleMania, and I think that's a little bit bigger. However, I will say as a fan, I am more intrigued into Tessa Blanchard as a hardcore fan. Let me, let me cl- clarify that. I'm more interested, so I kind of agree with you. I get excited about Tessa Blanchard going against Sammy Callahan a lot more. I don't think it means as much in the big scheme of things, but it is pretty cool, and I'm excited about it. I mean, what are the chances of us seeing, I know she headlined um, WrestleMania, but what are the chances of us seeing Becky Lynch versus Brock Lesnar for the Universal title? Well, again, I'm a uh, not the Universal title, the WWE title. Sorry. Well, whatever, yeah. It's just, to ahead, be no. fair, I mean, they didn't put Tessa up against Brian Cage. They got the title from Cage to Sammy Callahan, who they've already built in this feud with Tessa. Right. My only problem with her getting the title is where does she go from here, and what does it do to the rest of the women's division? Yeah, no, and I agree. And now does it make her more valuable than the women's? Because you've got uh, Taya Valkyrie, who's the women's champ in Impact, and does it take away from her? Or does she now have an opportunity to actually go for the actual... Or are they going to get rid of the women's belt? Are we just going to have one belt at that point? I, I doubt that. I think Impact definitely is really good at building out the knockouts. My guess is the way they see Tessa is that she's something special. And they want to do something to capitalize on her in the best way they can. And keep the women strong as well. But it'll be interesting to see how it plays out down the road. And I want to be clear, I'm not trying to knock Becky Lynch. To me, Becky Lynch is the man. Becky Lynch is, like you said, main event in WrestleMania. Her run rousing in Charlotte did absolutely incredible. I'm not trying to take away from what she's doing. I'm just saying it's unprecedented to see an organization even considering putting their number one title on a woman. Yeah, it's different. It's pretty cool, actually. We got a full show this week. We got the Jay Freddy interview. We got our 531. Thanks for calling in, and I'm sorry that we couldn't do this last night, but those late pay-per-views fucking kill me. No, guys, are you kidding me? I think this has been one of the best debates that we've had so far. Uh, Let's just keep rocking, as uh, Marty Gennetti would say. (laughs) All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Have a good night. This is Sub Blue Thunder, Jay Freddy, Tokyo, USA, Pro Wrestling Worldwide, Pro Wrestling, and you are listening to the Working Fans Podcast. Yeah! 
All right, folks, you're listening to the Working Fans Podcast. This is Dave, along with my producer, Joe. And we have on us uh, as a guest today, top independent wrestler, Jay Freddy. Jay, how you doing? What's going on? Good to be here. Awesome, man. Jay, for anyone who doesn't know, why don't you give us a little background? How'd you break in, and uh, what are some of your influences? Right after high school, I knew I always wanted to be a professional wrestler. I mean, I've always known I wanted to be one since I was a kid. And at the time, I was in my senior year of high school. I was looking up tools to wrestle at or to train at. And um, my original plan was to go to Ring of Honor School in Philadelphia. But then a company around New York called 2CW started to form. And I saw that the school, that the trainer was trained by uh, Killer Kowalski. And obviously, you know, Killer Kowalski's a legend in this business. So yeah. it, was only an, it was only an hour from my house. So I went to a 2CW show. And I talked to some of the people after the show. And then December of 2006 is when I started my journey in this business. Nice, nice. Now, what about some of your influence as far as wrestlers go? Influences, you know, me being like a shorter, stockier guy, definitely like a Dynamite Kid or the British Bulldog or Dean Malenko, Bret Hart, Owen Hart. Definitely like those, like, then when I really got into like Japanese wrestling, like guys like Misawa, Buddha, you know, just guys who are, you know, a little bit different from everybody, but at the same time, you know, being a wrestler and having a lot of that, you know, especially for being in Japan, getting kind of like, typecast into that Japan like that's role like I definitely try try to draw a lot of influence from guys you know like Dynamite Malenko and stuff like that now you spoke of Japanese wrestling and a lot of wrestlers kind of dream in working in Japan how did you come about working over there and what was your experience like in Japan uh, Japan is definitely my home away from home like uh, I'm very excited to be returning there very soon 2CW had a show with Tajiri on it back in 2014 and at the time, Tajiri had a company called WNC, uh, Wrestling New Classic, over in Japan. And when he was booked over here in the States for two days for uh, Living on the Edge weekend, he brought over two of his young boys, um, one being Usuke Kodama and the other being uh, Ryan Fujiwara, a guy from Australia who Fujiwara gave him the last name, you know, because of the arm bar and working with him. And the promoter of 2CW knew I've always wanted to go to Japan. Like, I, I talked about it, I talked about it, I talked about it. So... I had matches with both of his young boys that weekend, and especially the match with Kodama was like the one. And after like they were interested, and they're actually going to bring a 2CW group over at WNC for, for like an invasion angle, and we were going to start a, a program with them. And a week before we were supposed to fly out, we got the news that Tajiri folded the company. Huh. They were like, "Oh, they were like, oh, you're kidding me!" And wow. Then, Basically, like a lot of those guys got absorbed absorbed into our uh, Wrestle One, uh, Keiji Muda's company. So about you know, kind of just keeping contacts and everything. And then a year later, an opportunity came about where um, Tajiri was booking with Wrestle One and had more of an office role, and asked if I wanted to go over for a learning excursion. I said absolutely. So my first tour, I was there six months, and it's crazy because like we debuted right at Corkin Hall, which is crazy to me. You know, obviously, if you follow Japanese wrestling or any wrestling, Cork and all is such an historic thing. You know, it's had everybody in there. And we were the opening six-man tag match. And at the time, they had the they had a stage and a ramp would go to the ring, like the old, like, WCW style. So, and, like, the old, like, New Japan style. So, I remember we heard our music and we walked out and the lasers were going off and the smoke. And it was a sold-out show because the main event was 
the great Muda, Tajiri, and the great Kabuki all on one team. You know, like the, the team missed. You know, so, yeah, the place was sold out. I just remember walking to the ring, getting in the ring, getting on the buckle. I'm just going like, holy cow, like what a way to start. Right, you know, yeah. Insane. I was just going to ask you, like that had to be a trip uh, meeting Muda, I imagine even, right? Oh, yeah. Like I said, I mean, obviously he's a, he's a god. You know, not, not only in like Japan, but here in America, you know. And I remember the first interaction I ever had with him, I was in a tournament. It was the Road to Keiji Muto tournament where the winner got to face Muto at Corkin Hall, and I made it to the semis. And I remember after the opening match I had, he was sitting, like, at a table by the entrance. I remember walking back, and he looked at me, and he said, good match. And I went, oh, my God. Huh. You know, like, like, like this, is, this is crazy. Yeah. And then actually, like, getting to, like, the opportunities to, like, go out with the sponsors and go out with him to, like, a Yakiniku, like, a Korean barbecue place and sit and talk to him. You know, he's a pretty, pretty genuine good dude. Yeah, I mean, I grew up on Muda myself in the NWA era, you know, hanging there, wrestling with Stinks. I'm definitely a big Muda fan. I'm just uh, out of curiosity, how many dates a week are you working roughly uh, right now? And, like, what are some of the other promotions you're working for? The big ones I'm wrestling for, you know, obviously uh, Beyond Wrestling, you know, the, the Uncharted Territory on every Thursday night on IWTV. It's been huge for me. But, like, I've been, you know, like, that's a big one. Uh, Limitless Wrestling up in Maine has been good. ESW out in Buffalo has been really well to me. Uh, Excite down in Binghamton. Uh, basically, just been kind of trying to keep busy as much as I can. You know, like two shows a week. You know, obviously a little bit more for there. You know, like obviously like trying to branch out a little bit more outside the Northeast. But you know, I I always still like to do like you know the smaller indies or like the smaller little regional ones. You know, or, you know, because obviously you want to, to stay sharp. You know, and keep wrestling. You want to stay in a ring. You know, so. Yeah. But, yeah, I try to keep as busy as I can. But, like, as far as, like, the big two, I'd say, like, beyond and limitless right now. And definitely looking forward to going back up to uh, Canada and maybe getting involved with Smash or C4 up there as well. Absolutely. Nice. Now, Jay, we were really lucky to land this interview because, actually, for the last couple weeks, the thing that I've been bringing up that I've been most excited about in wrestling are the matches you've had with Brandon Thurston. Now, this week didn't necessarily end up like I thought. But I think the matches you guys have put on on Uncharted Territory, it's a nice newer rivalry that I've seen. And I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about Beyond and about Brandon Thurston as well. A lot of people don't really know the backstory with Thurston. Like, me and him have known each other well over a decade. Obviously, he started out in Buffalo. I started in Syracuse, and it was like a name. You hear each other's names in conversation, you know what I mean? Like... There's a time, like, around, like, that 05, 06, you know, time, that's when, like, okay, there's these two young guys who are breaking in, they're having these matches, you know, and finally, with Uncharted Territory, we've always just kind of crossed paths, so there, we got booked in that first match with each other, and obviously we have a very similar style of working, you know, like, we both like the Japanese style, we both like the English style, you know, like, it's... You go in there, you know it's going to be a chess match with somebody like that. And that first match is, you know, it was our first match on Uncharted Territory. And I haven't been back with Beyond in a minute. I had a couple injuries that kind of kept me out. So I knew for me, especially now with the explosion of wrestling on so many media platforms, and, you know, there's so much of it out there, so much of it out there. And Uncharted Territory's got a lot of buzz, you know, and... I've been with Beyond Wrestling on and off since 2014, so I kind of took that opportunity as like, you know, I've been doing this for 13 years, still as like a, 
a make or break moment. You know what I mean? Where it's like, all right, I'm going to go out, I got to have this match, and we're either going to go up from here or we got to go back to the drawing board and figure it out. But that first match came off so well and so hard hitting, and then I was fortunate to get the win to end of the second match. And then, you know, Brandon obviously being, I'll give the credit where it's due, he's intelligent. You know, he studied up on the tape, and then he, he pulled out the second one, and then out of nowhere, I could just just change it. And I don't know what's going on with him, but obviously, you know, the last two times you've seen each other, he's kind of been a dirty little prick. So, uh, yeah, I definitely, it's, it's on now. You know, this is, this is personal. It's, this is more than just seeing who's the best in the region now. It's, these are two guys who have been involved with the upstate New York wrestling scene for well over a decade. So now it's like, who, who's the king of the mountain at this point? I know a lot of the times on this podcast, we talk about having day jobs and how we're kind of fitting this in. And Uncharted Territory last week, I knew you guys were having the rematch. So I'm getting all my stuff done at night so I can sit down and watch the match. And then when it ended like it did, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> but I know it's only going to lead to something better. And you've had a lot of solid matches and beyond. That's probably around where you first caught my eye. And you, every time I've seen you, it's been sol a solid effort, hands down. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's always my goal in any company, you know, whether it be a Beyond Wrestling or a Limitless or even like a local ESW or PWR in Pennsylvania or wherever. You know, if I'm, if I'm there, I only know one, one, you know, one speed, and that's 100. You know, I only know one effort that's max effort you know it doesn't matter who i'm wrestling like you're 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 gonna get the best that i can give you that night you know and this whole thing with thirst like i said i've noticed you know especially he's, he's trying he's trying to play mind games but at the same time i know how to tap into his brain and it's been working he's basically giving me what i want and that's another match you know like he's for weeks he was saying he was done with me he was saying you know i'm over it and that I know, like, I can see it in his eyes when he, he comes in the ring and I stare right at him. I know, he, I know he knows he can't beat me. And obviously, look what he's resorted to. So. Now, Jay, just out of curiosity, who are some of the people that have been really good to you and kind of helped you along in the business that maybe you weren't expecting, you know, besides bringing you in, like, as you've been wrestling? As far as a, um, probably my, my big brother in pro wrestling has definitely got to be Eddie Edwards. I remember the first time I wrestled him, I was only six months into wrestling. Wow. And I was I was originally in a six-man tag that night. And uh, Eddie was supposed to wrestle Antonio Thomas that night. And the night before, Antonio Thomas got hurt. So I'm at the building, and the promoter of 2CW, his name's Josh, he came up to me. And Josh is very joking, you know. Like he would come up to me, like, hey, how you doing, buddy? And I'm like, I'm doing all right. You know, I was like, how do you feel about your six-man tonight? I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm loosening up. He goes, well... Wrestling Eddie Edwards tonight. Good luck. <laughs> I thought, he, I was like, okay. I, mean, I thought he was kidding. You know, right. Joke. And then I, I got to the back, and then I saw the, the lineup, and I saw that Antonio, Antonio Thomas' name was crossed out. My name was written on a sharpie. I was like, huh, okay, you know. And then I just remember wrestling Eddie, and that was probably the, you know, when you're young into wrestling, that's kind of like the, the test, I guess, but. Definitely earned his respect after that, and he's been a guy who's really. I, if I need anything, I can go talk to him. You know, if any advice I can send him a match, he can send me back his two cents. 
And obviously it shows how I work. Him and I are very similar, you know. Another guy is uh, Davey Richards. Basically, I was kind of like the Wolves, like, young boy for a while, yeah. for a little bit. Because uh, I remember going to Ring of Honor, watching a live event, and that's when Davey first came into the company. I was kind of like, wow, you know, like, you know, this dude's great. You know, and I could relate, you know, being shorter and stockier or whatever, and how we had the same influence. And then, like I said, the Wolves were the two CW champions at the time. And Eddie went over to Noah for a tour. And uh, I know Davey was coming in. I looked at, and again, there was one of those situations where I went to the promoter and I said, hey, um, Davey's coming in singles. I need to, you know, because at the time it was around 2010. So, so I've only been a few years into wrestling. At that time, Davey was red hot. You know, that's when he was wrestling Seth Rollins, Tyler Black, you know, for the title. And, yeah. and everybody. So I was like, trying to seize that moment or it's like okay you know like this is where well you know another situation like i said earlier this is where we either go back to the drawing board or this is where i can see mentally if i can do this you know and that match was probably the most brutal physical match i've ever had the building was 105 degrees with the body eating there and we went a good 25 minutes and i actually picked the win up and after the fact you know davy invited me out to dinner and then next thing you know i'm on ring of honor tv wrestling eddie edwards and the five minute wolf hunt you know and then it was davy giving me that door to go to ring of honor there when they were doing the hd net tv and really you know riding with him and training with him in a gym and learning from those guys you know so those two are definitely two huge influences on me as far as in wrestling um a peer i love traveling with dick justice is probably like my best friend in nice. the business and, and outside of wrestling like uh, i just hung out with him here over the weekend i haven't seen him in a minute him and I have been on the road so much together where it's pretty funny when we can complete each other's sentences, you know, or if one starts a conversation, the other one's picking it right up, or, or we're both on the same wavelength, you know, and that's just, and in this business, you know, like you said, you have a lot of acquaintances, you travel a lot of people, but you really have a select few of people you really can call, like, a close personal friend, and he's, like, he's one, and those three are definitely, like, the big three for me. I'm just curious. I was watching a match with you uh, the other night in preparation for this, and I noticed you have a tattoo on your hand. Is there any yeah. significance to that? Yes, yeah, uh, that represents my grandfather. Oh, cool. About, yeah, like two years ago, my grandfather died of cancer. He's 88 years old. You know, it's a long, long life. You know, and mm. I got it. Like I was gonna go up on a Wednesday to see him. You know, because we all knew it was. You know, time was short. I got home a Tuesday morning. I was, wrestling, I was actually doing an extra spot for WWE, and I got in New Jersey, and I got home Tuesday morning, and I said, um, you know, I, I was I was really going to crash. I drove all night. I was going to go right to bed. I said, you know what? I, I'm going to go see him. And then I went over, and I saw him. I sat alone with him, held his hand, you know, said what, you know, said my piece, you know, said everything. And then literally, like, a minute after I pulled out the driveway, he went. So I was, like, the last one to see him alive, you know what I mean? Or in yeah. a live state, I guess. So, and then with the grandkids, we had no idea he did this. I was uh, like four weeks later, my dad says to me a text, goes, hey, your grandfather left you something. And I still keep the envelopes. He wrote my name out right on it, and I still keep it. And uh, he had in there a savings box that he started from when I was born. You know, and we had no idea he did this for the grandkids. So I was like, oh my God, so. I cashed it in, and then I obviously took some of the money from that, and I got the ink done. So that's that's what that represents. Wow, so it sounds like he was really important to you, and that that tattoo yeah. was really a way of honoring him. Yep, like he was the, 
yeah, he was the first one in my family, you know, to ever have a home. You know, like he came up obviously back in the twenties and thirties, you know, like rough times with depression and all that. And he uh, was a family man through and through. He uh, met my grandmother. He's actually a, a semi-professional basketball player, and actually a lot of a lot of teams like the actual the Boston Celtics and the, uh, the Syracuse Nationals, which are now the Seventy Sixers. Basically, we were scouting him and offered him a contract. Hmm. He played. He played on a lot of the traveling teams in the school. Because like, you see his old scrapbook. Like he played against like all the gimmick teams too. Like there's a team of like traveling nuns they play. Or, uh, no kidding. Like the Cincinnati Redheads, which are actually in the Basketball Hall of Fame, they got displayed. But at the time, you know, he he had three kids with number four on the way, and it's, it's funny because like my father's side is kind of like the Hart family. You know, like there's there's seven kids. You know, hmm. so there's a lot. And my grandfather was always traveling, doing his thing. But then my grandmother finally put her foot down. I was like, it's either, it's either basketball or your family, you know. And obviously, he chose his family. And he got a job at the telephone company and went from being a grunt, you know, a laborer to basically retiring. And when Verizon bought out Bell Telephone as regional manager, you know, so mm. he's kind of he's, he's but he also did so much for the community, you know. Like he was an Elk, was the exalted ruler of the Elks Lodge, put on like a the charity free throw shoot that a lot of places do, a lot of community events. You know, so I kind of I look at him as far as an example, as far as to to be like a kind of like to be like the man he was. You know what I mean? Like to be like to be sort of if I could be even like half the man him or like my father are. You know, I, I think I'd be doing all right. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, and it's really cool that you actually got to say goodbye because near the end, like I was close with my grandma. But near the end, she went into a nursing home. So I don't think I ever really had that goodbye moment with her. It was always like, I'll see you again. But you got that finality. And it seems like it gave you a good example to go forward and emulate in the world. Exactly. And that's that's, that's after you said that, because I was going to say that. You see see somebody like that, you know, it's kind of like, wow, that's, that's the example as far as how to be, you know, a good person and good to your family and good to other people like like one thing i admired is like he he'd walk into like say like the local grocery store the local donut shops grab donuts for camp or whatever or he'd go to like, like yeah, yeah like a store but he'd walk in and he knew everybody by name huh. even if you ever met him one time you know what i mean that's something i i try to do like when i go to a locker room i was trying to remember everybody and say everybody by name like you know i like, go oh, hey ace romero and Hey, you know, Ace Austin or whoever's all in there, you know what I mean? I try to acknowledge him by name, you know, so I think that's a very respectful thing. I think people remember that. Yeah, that's good core values, man. I think a lot of the, that has changed in the world we live in between social media and texting. Not to go on a soapbox, but it's nice to, like, kind of keep those old schools of just, you know, remembering names, saying hello to people, basic politeness. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, too, one other thing I did want to ask you, uh, do you have like a favorite opponent, maybe like somebody who really brings out the best in you? Favorite opponent? Wow, definitely. Um, I, I'll write off a few names. Uh, Eddie Edwards, obviously number one. Like I said, he's him and I have had dozens of matches, and just you, you go in there with somebody, you know your game is going to be up. You know, or you, you go you go to a match like that, you walk away being better. Who's Keiko Dama in Japan? Like him and I wrestled for the. Uh, Russell won Cruiserweight title in uh, Cork and Hall, and that's actually one of my proudest moments and one of my proudest matches. Tyson Dukes in Canada, wicked awesome old school 90s style wrestling match, and 
you know, like we both went out and did that very Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect, King of the Ring, SummerSlam style match. It was awesome. I'll give the devil his due, Brandon Thurston. Definitely, you know, you're going to go in there. It's going to be bell-to-bell action and that King's Road style of wrestling. Uh, I had a match with Rich Swan one time, and it was wicked awesome. Like, I just wrestled there at Fox ASW. It was awesome. Like, I like wrestling a lot of people that are, like, either similar or like, or a polar opposite of me. Like, for example, like, I like wrestling the heavyweights. You know, like, uh, there's a, a wrestler back in, or a couple years ago, his name was uh, Brute Van Slyke. Uh, in New York, I liked wrestling him because it was like that old school, like Stan Hansen versus Dynamite, or like even like a Brat versus like Diesel, you know, or Sid, you know, like, sure. like that's the story, you know. Like I love wrestling the heavyweights or guys twice my size, you know, or even like the Luchadors or guys who can do a lot of the high spots and the rolls because again, another contrast of style, you know. Like I, my job is to ground them and not let them get going, and obviously when they get going, I got to play catch up so chase the rabbits. So. Definitely matches like that. Like I said, I like to think I'm pretty well versed as far as like what I can go in the ring with, but those are just some of the names that come to mind. Yeah, uh, one thing too, Jay, I noticed that. Um like, I love all your matches. You're very serious. You have great competitive matches. But I noticed you can do some comedy matches once in a while, too. I saw some stuff with you and um, Puff wearing a hard hat, drinking a beer. It was interesting. It was pretty good stuff. Oh, yeah. That, that was uh, the, the Thick Boys up yes. in uh, Maine. Uh, basically, like, John Silver's another one of my good friends in wrestling. Because, like, me and John just click. Because, like, sometimes we just be a couple of goofballs. Yeah. And obviously, like, they put us together and... Uh, <laughs> the promoter was like, I kind of want you guys to be like, you know, like a serious ass-kicking team, you know, like the American Bulls or whatever. I'm like, okay. But then, like, sure, like, we could do that, but, like, we also have personality, you know what I mean? Like, we're not just, like, two short vanilla, you know, yeah. you know, wrestlers. Like, we also, like, be ourselves, you know, and, and obviously now with, like, we kind of tapped into, like, that whole, like, bar school sports, like, a lot of, like, some, like, that goofy bro stuff, <laughs> and him and I were just ping-ponging ideas off each other, like, like I said, you know, maybe we should wear, like, denim vests, and he said maybe we should wear ball caps, and then we just kept, like, yeah, this is great, <laughs> you know, and then, and then obviously, like, we Puff got involved with being, like, our pledge, you know what I mean? Like, our frat has, like, Pledge Week and all that. So, that's awesome. and obviously, like, and obviously the, the Pledge is kind of, you know, messed up here and there and cost us matches. So then you have the one frat brother who's hot at the Pledge, and then you have the one that's the peacemaker trying to make everything work. And then that's where we're at right now. So we're interested to see where that story goes. Now, it sounds like you've had a lot of experience between the U.S. and Japan. What championships have you held in your time in the business? I've held the, uh, the 2CW heavyweight title, the top rope promotions heavyweight title out of Massachusetts, the Fall River area. I've held the upstate pro wrestling heavyweight title out in Rochester. A big one for me in Japan, I was uh, one-third of the UWA uh, six-man tag team champions with a wrestler by the name of Kumagoro and uh, Jiro Ikemen Kurosho. Actually, he just signed to WWE. Mm. That's the name to watch out for. That kid's going to be a superstar. He's the one, if you ever followed Japan, like, he's super popular. He's the one that always wears, like, the jacket, comes out with, like, the big introduction, like, takes some 10 minutes to get in the ring. Like, he's, he's, he's awesome. He's, he's, and he's so young, too. And he's just incredible. But those are some of the titles I've held. I'll have to keep an eye out for him. Now, what was it like winning a championship in Japan? Because it's your dream to get over there. And when you're a champion there, that's got to be, like, extra special. I go, I go, I go, sure, I cried like a baby. <laughs> nice. Uh, it was awesome. Like, you, like and the team we beat, we beat um, 
Kazayashi, Shuji Kondo, and uh, Soya Manabu, so a really good team. Wow, and, some uh, names. And, and there's another guy, one of my favorite favorite opponents is Kazayashi, and obviously being a fan of his since WCW, yeah. but like, getting to wrestle him, like for my first two tours, like I'd be in multi-man matches, like him and I were just married to each other as far as wrestling each other. You know, because we're like the speed of the team, like more like the the, tech, the technical guys of each team. But uh, beating them guys at a is in a Chiba, and the crowd was like fifteen hundred and was packed. And when we won the belts, no one expected us to win, and we won them. And then the place went nuts. And there's just like a holy cow, like this actually happened. Like I would, I would have never thought my wildest years coming from small water town New York that I'd be in Japan winning a title. Like it's insane. Yeah, and what's it like sometimes wrestling guys that you came up watching wrestling? That's got to be a bit of a mind fuck sometimes. Oh, it, it, it is. It's surreal, you know. But I, I think like once you get past the aura of it, you know, and really um, get going and getting comfortable, that it's like, oh, okay. Like then you just you gotta then you just dial it in, you know. But obviously, yeah, like you have that first moment of like, oh wow. Like, this is Kasayashi, or, oh, my God, this is Minoru Tanaka, or, like, but then, obviously, you know, once you get in the ring, you know, you wipe your feet off, step between the ropes, it's go time, he's, he's just another opponent at that point. Just wondering, too, uh, you've done a lot already, what are some of your goals left that you want to do in uh, wrestling? Oh, I've, I definitely got a ton, like I said, I mean, it's, I'd love to go out to, like, PWG in California, like, that'd be, that's definitely been on the, the bucket list, and, you know, obviously sport like Canada shows, like Mexico, obviously Europe's the hotbed right now, like England, Germany, like I would just like to keep traveling the world, get better, wrestle as much as I can. And obviously now with a lot of a lot of places offering contracts and on T V and stuff like that, I mean, someday it could deal. You know, but until now I'm just trying to enjoy the ride while while I'm on it right now. Damn right. Nice, and we talk a lot about with the WWE and other companies signing so much indie talent, kind of who's going to be the next big thing. And here at the Working Fans Podcast, at least I've been pushing for Jay Freddy. Well, we don't want to take up too much of your time tonight. We thank you very much for joining us. And before you go, can you kind of give us any upcoming dates, where people can find you, anything you want to plug? Absolutely. My uh, Instagram is uh, J underscore Freddy. Uh, same with my Twitter, at J underscore Freddy. This Saturday, I'll be at Excite Wrestling in Binghamton. It'll be uh, myself and uh, Slick Wagner Brown, the uh, the Kowalski guys. It's another tag team I'm in. Obviously, him training under Killer Kowalski. You know, and me having the Kowalski rub, you know, it's, and knowing each other for 15 years, you know, like we decided to combine as a team. And, you know, we're a really good team clicking right now. We're going after the Excite Tag Team Championships that's this Saturday. I will be on Beyond Wrestling Uncharted Territory on November 7th, so tune in for that. And then on November 9th, I will be in Erie, Pennsylvania for Pro Wrestling Rampage. Jay, you're the man. Thanks a lot, bud. Thank you very awesome. much. Thanks, guys. All right. Hey, Jay, have a great night. Welcome to the 531, where we bring our top five lists on a certain subject. We debate it down to a top three list. From that top three list, we kind of decide a top one. This week, we're doing the top five super kick. I'm going to start off my list. It's going to be a little run of the mill because it starts off with Shawn Michaels, the Young Bucks next. I got Chris Adams at number three, who I feel like is going to take the crown in the end. Number four, Dolph Ziggler. And I went in kind of left field with number five. I put down Shinsuke Nakamura. Dave, who do Uh, you uh, like on your top five for super kicks? I got here, starting off with number five, Tracy Smothers. Threw an underrated super kick. 
back when he was with the Young Pistols slash Southern Guns, or Southern Boys, excuse me. Very underrated. Do the work. Check that out, people, if you haven't seen it. Number four, I had Alberto Del Rio. I thought that he had a really good super kick as well. I believe he beat John Cena for the U.S. title with one of his super kicks, if you actually look at that. He was a surprise match that night, too. Number three, I had Dolph Ziggler. Also had one of the best. Number two, Chris Adams. He's the original. One of the best. And number one for me, nobody ever got to move over more than HBK, Shawn Michaels. Number one, Shawn Michaels. Got to put Shawn Michaels on the list. Um, like both of you guys, um, the first super kick I ever saw was Chris Adams. Still one of my all-time favorites. Dolph Ziggler does a tremendous super kick. Very extremely athletic. Huh. The Great Kabuki. Ooh. The good thing about the Great Kabuki is he would spit that green mist in your face first and then kick you in the face. Good combo. And then I can't believe you guys didn't mention this guy. I can actually feel the temperature in the room starting to change just thinking of him. My friends, it's Glacier. Glacier. What a great kick. I mean, Ray some people Boyd. in that some people in that time period would have, would have went with Ernest Miller, but to I was me, gonna say, yeah. to, to me, it's Glacier, the real martial artist. Now, Dave, I missed your top one. Who was that? My top one was HBK. Right, now that we got all our top five lists, let's look at these. Shawn Michaels was on everybody's list, sure. so he will make it to the top three. So was Adams. Same somebody. with Chris Adams. I think Ziggler might have made everybody's list, too. I think so. Ziggler did, so this might be the easiest top three we've ever had. It's easiest going to the top three, but it might not be the easiest once you get to the top three. True. Now, before we move on, I just want to kind of make mention of the outlier people that we have on here. Alberto Del Rio wasn't one that would come to mind at first. Mm -hmm. Tracy Smothers either. I mean, Great Kabuki took me by surprise. But I think we all had that one person on the list that kind of surprised everybody else. I have one that I actually crossed off my list, and he's the person I replaced with Glacier, who I regret a little bit crossing off because I don't think people remember him for doing the super kick. Chris Adams' partner when he was in Texas oh. was Gino Hernandez. <clears throat> Gino Hernandez, believe it or not, also had a great super kick. Because the two of them would actually do the, long before the Bucks did the super kick party, yeah. Gino Hernandez and Chris Adams actually would do a dual hmm. super kick at the same time. Now, I had had Muda on my list. I kind of took him off to put Shinsuke on because I thought Muda had a super kick, but it wasn't maybe necessarily he was something he was known for. So here's the difference between Muda's and the other guys. All the other guys we talked about when they did their super kick, we're talking about sweet chin music. We're talking about hitting the person on the jaw. Muda's super kick, and quite frankly, Glacier's also, was almost more of a side kick where they're hitting you more in the chest. Right, especially Muda's. Exactly. He wasn't really aiming for the chin. Glacier had kind of a hook to it. Exactly. Muda would straight up spin sometimes. Yeah, he would just spin and hit you with that straight side kick right in the, oh, right in the he, chest. Another guy I had, actually I didn't put on there, but was Marty Gennetti. Not I mean, everybody point. thinks HBK, but Marty would have just as good a super kick sometimes. Kind of like with the Gino Hernandez thing that we talked about. You team with someone that has a good super kick. Right. Even if yours isn't the best, it's going to be up you're there. You're right there. I think at some point on this podcast, we have to talk about Marty Gennetti and Shawn Michaels. And I think we have to talk about fact, who was actually better? Oh. Well, I think... No, 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 no. We, we know who had the better career. Right. But who was actually a better wrestler? I think it was Sean. Well, it's the time for another podcast. Yeah, that's a time for another podcast. That's something to think about. Yeah. And you know what? Guys, for next week, we're going to start something here. Next week, I challenge these two motherfuckers. I want to see who's better, Shawn Michaels or Mario Gennetti. I'm going to argue for Mario Gennetti, and we're going to get this on. We got this final three here, Joe. I just want to start off by saying I'm going to get rid of Dolph. No offense to him. 
As to me, Chris Adams and HBK are going to be my final two. I think anytime you look at a top three list, there's always one guy that's almost an obvious that has to go. These guys are all heavy hitters with the super kick, but if you got Shawn Michaels and Chris Adams, sadly Dolph Ziggler will be the guy that has to get off the list first. What Dolph Ziggler is the only one that's not a finisher. True. Right. I don't even know how this one's going to happen, but Shawn like, Michaels and Chris yeah. Adams, it's the originator or the guy that made it a household name. Right, that's the thing. Arguably. What are we talking well, about? To me, in this one, I think you have to go to an, an, an expert in the subject. Mm-hmm. And who's more of an expert when it comes to karate than Eric Bischoff? Oh, Jesus. And Eric Bischoff, I have it on good authority, said that Shawn Michaels has a super kick that wouldn't even get him a green belt in a kid's karate class. Yeah, he might have been a little biased when he made those comments. Really? Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong. But anyway. that is also an informed person on throwing a kick it's because a, it's part of karate what? form. I'm going to argue that a bit. That's an informed person with an attainted point of view. Now, wait a minute. Second. His original attainted point of view, you are correct, is? Yes. But in 83 weeks, if you listen to the podcast with Eric Bischoff, I do. Has actually stood by his statement that Shawn Michaels' super kick was overrated. Okay. How do you feel about Chris Adams' super kick? Though? Now, he's never really talked about All Chris right. Adams, yeah, but yeah. clearly he was never offended enough oh, by it. And also, you know what, though? And honestly, I don't really care what Eric Bischoff says. That, oh, I don't really wow. believe Eric Bischoff. Wow. Right, I'm just going to come out and say it. Wow. But Somebody's sir, still bitter. Woo. You know what? That's nothing against Eric Mishra. Well, maybe a little bit. I just think sometimes he's not always trustworthy. Hey, now that he's got that new t-shirt, 83 days, he's all set. Yeah, you can find him in Cater. <laughs> yeah. All right, so... All right, so let's debate it. Who do, who do you think? Man, it's a tough one. But at the end of the day, I'm going with HBK because he got the move over more than any. No argument there on that part. You can debate something else, but who got it over more? Who got it? When you go to casual fans or any fans, they're going to be like, oh... Shawn Michaels, yeah, the super kick. I remember, oh, sweet chin music. Yeah, yeah, I know that. Oh, you think Not everybody knows who fucking you, Chris is. You think he's is. more over than the guy who died in 2001? Yeah. All I'm right, so, thanks. I do like Chris Adams. <laughs> I mean, I would have to argue for Chris Adams because even though Shawn Michaels made it a big name, mm. it wouldn't have been something to be made a big name had Chris Adams not rolled it out. And we've talked in a couple of our other five three ones about the influence that you have over the business or if you're inspiring people, that almost gives you a little more of a foothold in the legend. So I would have to give it to Chris Adams. Plus, here's the big thing. We forget how over Chris Adams was in the 1980s. I know Dave shaking his head. I didn't forget how over he was. But that feud that he had Hmm. between him and David Von Erich, between him and Gino Hernandez when they broke up, when he got blinded, those feuds that he had and that super kick, when he hit that in Texas, people knew the match was over. I see what Joe's saying about <laughs> how he was the originator. I'm not saying I agree with that should be the difference maker, but I'm not agreeing with what you're saying about Chris getting it over because he did, but it's still not <laughs> the level of what HBK did. That's cut and dry. But in fairness, just because H- some fans in Texas saw it doesn't mean it's as over as the guy who used it to beat Ric Flair at WrestleMania. Technically, you put down Ric Flair with it if you, you want. You got that right, yeah. put him down. First of all, the matches that he had. The event was called Star Wars. Great. <laughs> they ripped off a movie <laughs> and didn't get it over. Congratulations. Okay. Now, and also... In you fact, have another reason I'm willing to listen. No, I agree with Joe. The, origin- the originator, you're comparing apples to oranges and getting over because Shawn Michaels had a machine behind him in the WWE. Sure. 
which was a much larger machine than what you would have had in Texas wrestling. Fair enough. So you have to compare levels of overness when it comes to what they're actually in and the time period. Fair. I will say this, though. You can take Chris Adams, you can take HBK, you can put him on the same platform, you can put the same fucking machine behind him, and one of those guys is going to get more over. And it's not Chris Adams. Okay. Take your stupid super kick, <laughs> take your school that you tried to rip Steve Austin's money off from. Rip his money off? He made Steve Austin. <laughs> he tried. <laughs> All right, so we're go- we're gonna go Chris Adams though, because two fine. of us agree. I was gonna say since we can't really come to a consensus, let's put it out to the audience. Yeah, sure. Oh, Guys, Christ, what do they us, know? Email us, tell us, Sean Michaels or Chris Adams. You know how to find us on Twitter at Fans Working. That's the Working Fans Wrestling Pod at Gmail we want to hear from you guys. So you want to Who put it, had the better super You want tank? to put it in the hand of in the hands of the Hamanagers? Definitely. To quote, I, all right. Only this one time though. All right, humanoids. <laughs> I and that's only because I know how over Chris Adams is. So guys, I look forward to hearing all your votes for Chris Adams. Yeah, look them up. I'm sure you'll have to. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you for coming again for another week of the five three one. All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor.fm, Google Podcast, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 